This is Show Notes, the podcast for performers with Emily Edwards. And welcome to Show Notes, the podcast for performers. I'm your host, Emily Edmonds, and today I'm bringing you uh, the second episode that we have lined up with Mr. Declan Costello, ENT. Um, if you haven't li- listened to the first episode, do go back and check out um, the first episode with Declan where we talk about, um, you know, how to know when to go to an ENT, what an ENT is, blah, blah, etc., etc. The real basics, the fundamental foundational information. Um, that you'll need to get on board to feel really supported and resourced in this arena. Um, in this episode, we're talking about kind of, I guess for want of a better word, like little problems, little things that can go wrong. So we're talking about allergies. Um, you know, what are they? What do they do to our voices? Um, how do we deal with them? Treatments for those. Um, we touch on hormones and hormonal contraceptives and the voice, you know, the the kind of impacts of hormonal cycles Um and symptoms they might present. We talk about asthma, inhalers, their impact and their effect on the voice, advice when it comes to that. Um, Again, we talk a little um, about um, menstruation and hormonal cycles like that. Um, We also talk about uh, pregnancy. So are there any vocal risks associated at that time? Challenges, challenges that impact the voice big one we talk about reflux um and we're also talking about that in another episode um with uh with a speech and language therapist so do tune into that as well if that's something that you experience um or think you might be experiencing reflux the vocal symptoms of that um and then we talk about what to do if you go to an ent and nothing is wrong um what do you do next um what else can you look into what else might be going on we talk about muscle tension dysphonia, um, which if that's new to you as a concept, it can be tension that impacts the phonation of the voice. It's a bit of a blanket term. We dive into it a little bit more during the podcast. Um, that's really fascinating as a topic. And we talk about the treatment of tension in um, in those muscles, um, massage, the impact of grief and extreme emotion or stress on the voice. Um, so the impact of psychology on the voice. We also talk about that in the speech and language therapy episodes. So um, again, do tune into those if you're experiencing that. We talk about tonsillitis, getting your tonsils out, singing with tonsillitis, question mark, um, recovering from a tonsillectomy, singing with sickness, how do we know if it's okay and making the call, such a big one um, for performers. I say singing, look, if you're tuning in as an actor, I think the same thing applies. You know, how do I know if I can get through a show? How do I know if it's okay? Um, how do I know if I need to call in sick? Coughing and vomiting, um, resting and singing again. I recently spoke with um, with a friend who was talking about, you know, she'd had a, a viral bug and the impact of vomiting on her on her cords. And it was something she had not um, been made aware of until after the fact. So we talk about that. Um, we talk about post-nasal drip, throat clearing, steaming, why and how, and humidifiers. Um, this is a really interesting episode for... Um, for professional voice users because we're so aware of these um, little factors at play. I just want to add a disclaimer to this episode. This uh, episode is with uh, a medical professional, but it does not uh, count as medical advice. It doesn't um, substitute for medical advice. Please go and seek support from um, your trusted medical advisor. If you don't have one, 
I encourage you to go out and find one and build a medical support team around you. Um, Athletes have it. I don't think performers often have it. So build that around you and get people you trust around you. Um, But again, this is um, just opinion. This is just conversation. It is um, very well informed and it is a conversation with the medical professional. But I emphasize it is not medical advice and it does not stand in for a medical consult. So I'd love to talk about some of the things uh, that might not be the end of the world, but as performers and professional voice users, we feel them. Things like allergies, hormonal changes, um, sickness, tonsils being inflamed. Can we start to break down some of those things and the impacts they might have on the voice and what sort of treatments um, we should be doing and avoiding? Maybe let's begin by talking about allergies. Okay, so allergies are an interesting one because uh, there are a number of different ways in which people can be allergic to things. The the classical one is airborne allergens, so pollen, cats, dogs, dust, that sort of thing. And that typically would give you the, the usual symptoms of a runny nose, blocked nose, maybe at certain times of the year or certain times of the day. Now, obviously the best way of dealing with an allergy is to avoid the thing that you're allergic to. And if you're allergic to house dust mite, which is one of the commonest ones, there are specific ways that you can get rid of house dust mite in your house. Cats, dogs, pollens and those sorts of things, obviously you can try and avoid those if you possibly can. Um, In terms of medical treatment for um, allergies, for those sorts of allergies, I would tend for singers to be suggesting that you be on a long-term nose spray, and that's usually a steroid-based nose spray, which starts immediately to raise alarm bells, I know, steroid's not good, but actually, when you have a steroid nose spray, the vast majority, it's a tiny dose of steroid anyway, and the vast majority of that tiny dose hangs around in your nose and just treats your nose. So almost none of it gets into the back of your throat or or anywhere else. Now, if you're concerned about that, then you can gargle after you've used your steroid nose spray or what have you. But I think that a steroid nose spray, particularly for those singers who have hay fever, being on a steroid nose spray from the beginning of the hay fever season right through, I think is a really useful thing to do. The alternative in that situation, of course, is to be on an antihistamine tablet. The slight concern about antihistamine tablets with singers is that they tend to dry you out. Um, So... My, the, the way I usually approach allergies, uh, particularly hay fever, is to say a regular nose spray and um, uh, using an antihistamine tablet when required. The other thing that can be quite helpful is actually washing the nose out with salt water. Uh, a process called nasal douching, and there are some things, preparations you can buy over the counter where you just literally swill the nose out, and that will help to physically remove mucus and remove the things that you're allergic to. When we're using something like a... Um uh, is it called a steroid nose spray? Yeah. Yeah. Are there are there impacts of that over time? Can we be on that? You know, if we're in our thirties, can we be on that for forever? Yeah. I mean, there are a number of scenarios in which we prescribe these nose sprays for the sort of indefinite future. There's no particular problem with people being on them in the long term. In practice, what normally happens is that people have a blocked and runny nose. Uh, it's established that they're allergic to something and you go on a steroid nose spray and after six or nine or 12 months people get fed up with taking it stop the spray and see what happens and if the symptoms come back 
okay, well, then you need to be back on the spray again. Um, so it's not, you know, once you start on a steroid nose spray, you're not necessarily committed to being on it forever. And some people just use it for the two or three months of the hay fever season, for example, and then that's, that's all they need. Ah, uh, so it's not kind of having an impact on the mucous membranes and all that kind of no, thing? No, no, not in the long term, no. When we're looking at prescriptions for uh, the steroid nose sprays, is that going to be through our doctor or do we really need to be seeing an ENT to discern oh, you can, No, you can get that through your family doctor, through your, your GP, your primary care physician. Yeah, oh, the, um, uh, there, there are some over-the-counter steroid nose preparations. Certainly in the UK, there are some over-the-counter preparations that you can buy which are probably not quite as good as the prescribed ones. So you, um, it, I think in most countries you, it would be a primary care doctor who would be prescribing that. And in terms of um, other medications that might impact the voice or the mucous membranes uh, enough to, to impact our singing, I guess the first thing that springs to mind when I think about other medications are hormonal contraceptives. Do you have any experiences with how they might impact the voice, either scientifically or anecdotally? Well, um, the whole hormonal thing is... Uh, quite a vexed problem and I think uh, the the simple answer is that I don't really have a simple answer um, because the the hormonal treatments can affect different people in very different ways Um, so for example in the menopause uh, the the hormonal shifts can cause uh, drying of the larynx and that can have an effect on on vocal resonance and on vocal effort um, and uh, similarly, hormonal treatments uh, controlling menstrual cycle can have have different effects as well. Um, so I, I I don't think there is a single answer that says that this is kind of the way to go. I think the um, the control of other symptoms um, might be more important than necessarily the kind of minor alterations you might get in the voice, for example. Um, and uh, you know that applies to things like asthma, uh, and I was going to mm. talk about asthma. So asthma inhalers um, uh, can have a can, can have a, a, a significant effect on the voice, um, but you know ch- chest is more important than voice in the grand scheme of things. And if your if your chest is bad, that really does need treating, and we can then kind of mitigate things with regards to your voice, um, but. It's always if you if you've been if you're an asthma sufferer and you've been on your inhalers for years and years and actually nobody's bothered to review your asthma and say do you need to be on these inhalers then that's definitely a question worth asking because as as an ENT surgeon I'd far rather you weren't on an inhaler than you were um, but equally if you need the inhalers you need the inhalers um, but if you are if you are going to be on an inhaler then my advice always would be that you gargle comprehensively after you've used your inhaler because when you take an inhaler most of it gets into your lungs but also a proportion of it lines your mouth pharynx and larynx as it goes through so you've got little mm-hmm. particles of steroids sitting on the vocal cords which is not so good because that can set you up with all sorts of problems um, in the medium and long term so gargling after inhalers is useful but if you don't need to be on the inhalers come off them if a listener has been on um uh, inhalers for a long time what kind of things are they potentially what should they be aware of locally? well there are two things really firstly steroids uh, in the mouth and steroids in the larynx can leave you prone to thrush candida uh, so you can get little white spits and spots in your mouth and that equally can end up with, with thrush in the larynx as well which responds very quickly to uh, the relevant antifungal tablets but you don't want to be there in the first place if you can avoid it 
Um, and the second thing is um, that in the long term, if the steroids sit on the vocal cords, there's a concern that it can cause thinning of the muscles of the vocal cords uh, and cause kind of a, a weakening of the bulk of the, the, the vocal cords uh, if used in the long term. Can, is that something that can be rectified with uh, therapy? Yeah, in, in theory, um, it's a bit like all of these conditions where the, the muscles become thinner. Yeah, with with appropriate therapy, that can help, but you you kind of want to avoid being there in be the first place. Yeah. yeah. Just to return to um, hormones, so we talked briefly about hormonal contraceptives, and I guess the takeaway for me about that is if you feel something like that might be impacting your voice, it wouldn't be on the, it wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility that it could be is my understanding absolutely yeah and we know for example that you know the monthly cycle will affect the voice and there are certain times of the month when the voice will work well and other times maybe in the run up to the period or during the period when it doesn't work so well and in years gone by of course female opera singers would have had days of grace when they'd have had days off from singing around the time of the period but um so you know there is definitely something about that but it, it affects every individual very differently what is happening when we feel in the lead up you know i think most women anecdotally would feel that in the lead up to their period or on the first or second day there is a change What's the latest kind of information on what that might be? Um, it's the, the changes in the proportions of estrogens and progesterone in the system alter the uh, thickness of the surface layer of the vocal fold and also the nature of the mucus being produced by the vo- uh, around the vocal folds. Um, and it's those changes that alter the, uh, the sense of how the voice works and whether that's pitch or effort levels. Um, yeah, and and those those will change. Those will be very different from one person to the next. Yeah, is there anything that we can be doing to to support ourselves vocally at that time of the month, or is it so individual? I think it is just so individual. I uh, I, I, I I'm not. I wouldn't profess to be an expert on it, but I think it's. Um, yeah, I, yeah. The simple answer is I'm, I'm not sure really. I just think it's a, every individual will have their own ways of uh, of working it. Completely. Uh, what about other hormonal changes like pregnancy? Are pregnant women at any sort of risk of anything happening vocally? Are there changes there that impact the voice? Well, again, the hormonal changes can. Uh, have an impact in the same way that the menstrual cycle and uh, uh, those sorts of things can change things. Uh, there, there are obviously some major other changes that happen in the course of pregnancy. You know, you've got this great big mass sitting in your abdomen, so that's going to have an impact in terms of uh, breathing and posture. Um, reflux is a really common problem in pregnancy as well, uh, so managing that can be difficult. But you know, a number of high-profile performers have gone through quite late into pregnancy performing but it's uh, I think it's probably not easy particularly in something as physical as uh, as opera singing you mentioned reflux that is a big one for performers uh, and I think there's a little bit of misinformation and misunderstanding around that let's just talk about that briefly first of all what what symptoms do you often see vocally uh, associated with reflux? Well, the difficulty is that there is no, or there are very few diagnostic tests that tell us definitively whether somebody has reflux or not. Uh-huh. And the tests that we have are quite invasive. Um, so we end up in a situation of 
trying to marry up people's symptoms with kind of what the larynx looks like to try and work out whether or not they've got reflux. But actually, we're still not really entirely sure. And reflux, you know, simply put, reflux is where the contents of the stomach end up outside the stomach and they travel up the esophagus and potentially up into the uh, pharynx, up into the back of the throat and can cause problems with the, with the vocal cords. Now, depending on who you speak to, uh, those sorts of reflux changes can cause a feeling of a lump in the throat, they can cause throat clearing, mucus in the throat, vocal pitch changes, vocal fatigue, hoarseness. People have suggested glue ear, people have suggested that reflux can cause uh, or can be a contributory factor to larynx cancer and all sorts of stuff. But the difficulty is that nobody really is ever sure and, and the examination of the larynx uh, is very you can't pinpoint reflux by looking at somebody's larynx. You, there are some things that might point towards there being reflux, but anybody who looks at a larynx and says, you've definitely got reflux, I think is uh, sort of slightly over overselling it because you just can't. On the other side of things then, if you have your larynx looked at and they say, actually, it's all looking kind of fine, but you maybe suspect that you do have reflux? I mean, is it going to show? Will, will there be some impact on the voice? Um, not necessarily. Um, but I think the difficulty is that singers are so um, acutely aware of even the most minor changes that um, even just a little bit of reflux is likely to cause uh, some, uh, some issues. I guess the thing I'm wondering is if you go and there's nothing wrong, which kind of leads us into another sort of territory, but if you go and there's nothing wrong but you're sure that something's wrong, yeah, is that, I mean... Are we talking specifically assuming? about reflux here I or just so. about any, I guess anything? I it's a broader question, yeah. yeah. Okay, so if, you, if the singer comes in and feels that there is very definitely something wrong with the larynx and if I don't identify a single thing that I can put my finger on, then one course of action would be to think okay well objectively then my larynx looks okay I'm going to go away and digest this for a few weeks I'm going to sing and see how it goes and if I'm still sure that there is something wrong with my larynx then I think I'm going to go and get another opinion because often the reassurance from an ENT from a laryngologist of knowing that there is nothing wrong with the larynx very often is enough for a singer to be able to go back to the teacher and say okay well let's just work on the technical stuff because actually it turns out that this is and if if things improve from that point on great but if they don't and if there is a persistent concern that there's something wrong then I think another opinion is probably the way to go that's and relatively soon you know rather than hanging around six months just get that within the next few weeks absolutely that leads me on to a question about muscle tension dysphonia. Yeah. Things that might structurally be impacting the voice that aren't the vocal cords themselves. Yeah. Can you speak to anything about sort of muscle muscle tension dysphonia? Well, muscle tension dysphonia is a sort of catch-all phrase for any muscular imbalance in the larynx that causes a problem with the voice. Um, now, in... Uh, in its most extreme, that can mean that somebody is aphonic and has no voice because, uh, for whatever reason, they are not bringing the vocal folds together to produce sound. And that is almost always uh, a non-physical thing. That's almost always a sort of psychological, psychogenic thing that they're not... People just come in producing no voice at all. So that's one end. 
that would be a sort of hypophonic muscle tension dysphonia, an undervoiced muscle tension dysphonia. At the other end of the scale, people can come in with massively strained and tight and squeezed sounding voices where everything is hyperfunctional, everything is over squeezed. Um, and try and you know, working out exactly where the muscle tension imbalance lies is really important in terms of therapy. The situation is slightly different for singers because um, it's almost never the case that you're at one end of those extremes. There's almost always somewhere in the middle where an ENT may say, well, look, there's a little bit of squeezing of the larynx from front to back or I'm seeing a bit too much encroachment of the false chords, in, but it's really subtle. And more than that, there's a lot to do with the, the supporting muscles around the outside of the larynx. So when you look in the larynx, you can see the vocal cords, you can see the false chords, but the singing voice is reliant also on all of the extrinsic muscles of the larynx, so the the, uh, uh, the strap muscles that anchor it and lift it and hold it down and, and whatever else when you're, when you're producing your voice. And those can have uh, a huge impact and, and making sure that those are working efficiently is important as well. Is that a muscle tension dysphonia? No. I mean, I would call that a sort of muscular imbalance of the extrinsic muscles, but not necessarily a dysphonia. If we do have tension in the either the extrinsic or intrinsic muscles what are the what are the treatment options available to us well for, for the extrinsic muscles um, I think that one of the most useful things that people can do is to have laryngeal manipulation laryngeal massage um, or, or indeed massage of other things because the tension of the extrinsic laryngeal muscles can often be a reflection of shoulder and neck tension more generally and actually a, a good massage that releases all of those can often quite have a freeing effect on, on the larynx but there are practitioners who specialise in massage of the larynx muscles the extrinsic laryngeal muscles um, muscle tension dysphonia of the intrinsic laryngeal muscles um, is a little bit more difficult to unpick and, and in in that scenario I tend to defer more to a singing teacher because I would say look I've, I've seen a bit of uh, muscle tension here and that might be what would account for this or that or the other that's not something that I'm going to treat that is something that when you're with your singing teacher and your voice coach those are things that they will be working on with you to release because I can't you know you can't have an endoscope in your nose 24 hours a day saying no no, no you've got to release that or <laughs> loosen off that you've got to you've got to work with your teacher on that mm. That leads me to ask about the impact of things like grief uh, on the voice. Have you have you seen? I've spoken about this um, with Tori, um, our resident SLT expert. Um, I've spoken with Tori about the impacts of grief and extreme emotion on the voice and maybe extreme stress. Do you see that in clinic as well? I do. Yeah, um, in singers and non-singers alike and that situation I was describing a second ago of aphonia where there is absolutely no voice um, is often triggered by an event a bereavement, a divorce um, uh, you know, a house burning down or those sorts of really major life events can cause the voice just to switch off and people to kind of not and it's the physical manifestation of um just overwhelming emotion um, and it's 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 often difficult for people to understand that those sorts of things can have that sort of impact people come into an ENT surgeon expecting there to be a physical definable thing that explains precisely why 
in surgical terms why they've lost their voice and actually trying to go back through things and saying actually there's a there's an underlying psychological thing here can be quite difficult to go through yeah can you speak a bit about tonsils recurring tonsillitis maybe as a singer whether we should or should have our should or should not have our tonsils removed yeah well um yeah i mean tonsillitis can affect singers just as much as non-singers um the difference being that you know if you're flat on your back with tonsillitis then clearly you're not going to be able to sing for a week or 10 days it's not normally the case that tonsillitis translates into laryngitis but tonsillitis in other words raging sore throat white spots on the back of the throat high temperature and and feeling unwell for 10 days that sort of thing is going to take you completely out of performing action for that period of time it's not necessarily directly going to affect the voice are you going to damage the larynx by singing when you have tonsillitis Probably not, because the infection is largely confined to the tonsils and not to the vocal cords, but you're not going to feel up to it, to be honest, and you're going to feel pretty grim. Um, And, you know, if you're having a number of episodes of tonsillitis in a year, that's taking you out of action for 10 days, four, five, six times a year, then that's not sustainable for a career in... Uh, on the stage I wouldn't have thought so you then have to make a decision as to whether to go ahead and have your tonsils removed and you know a number of times I've had singers who have had their tonsils taken out for precisely that reason there's a concern you know will having my tonsils taken out affect my voice in any way in the long term and the answer is probably not and if your tonsils are sort of small to medium sized then uh, it probably won't have any impact on your voice. If your tonsils are huge, then the the implication of that is that they're filling up quite a lot of the resonant space of your vocal tract. And if you remove that big bulky thing that's sitting in your vocal tract, then it's going to alter the resonate, uh, resonant um, space that you've got. Now, it might very well affect that in a positive way. You might have more resonance and a, a bigger, brighter sound, but it's more likely to have an impact than if you've got small to medium-sized tonsils. But my experience of removing uh, smallish tonsils for recurrent tonsillitis in classical singers is that in the long term it doesn't have any very significant impact. What I do always say to singers, though, is you know, we remove the tonsils by peeling them off the underlying muscle. It's not a terribly sophisticated operation, and at the end of the operation, what you're left with is raw muscle of the side of the throat, and it's terribly sore for about 10 days or so, um, and it takes a period of time to recover. And part of that is about the, the healing process of the tonsil fossae, where the, the ditches where the tonsils were, and that necessarily is going to change how you feel about the resonant space of your pharynx. And, and so I say to singers, it's going to take a number of months, not, not just really from the point of view of the, the lining of the throat healing up, but actually just in terms of how the muscular resonance is working and how your pharynx feels when you're, uh, when you're kind of opening up to, to get that resonant uh, space going. Mm. And to my understanding, the tonsils are the first line of immunity defense i guess as it were is it going to impact our immunity long term to get rid of that line of defense no there's no evidence that removing the tonsils makes you more prone to sore throats or anything like that and in that sense it's not really entirely clear what the tonsils are for it may be that there is some sort of immunological 
um, uh, function for them early in life because you've got this ring of uh, lymphoid tissue around the back of the throat that in early life may have something to do with recognising bugs as they come in. The simple answer is that removing them doesn't leave you more prone to more infections further down the track. And actually, you know, if you're getting half a dozen episodes of tonsillitis a year, you're not really left with a great deal of yeah. choice. Are you? You've really got to have your tonsils taken out because you can't carry on with life like that. Exactly. I remember hearing, you know, when I was much younger, a lot about, you know, if the tonsils aren't there, then you'll get laryngitis instead. There's no fact in that, is there? No. No. No, no there's nothing in that. You spoke about whether you will cause any damage singing with tonsillitis or not. It, that sort of leads me to ask about singing with sickness in general how do we know whether we should or shouldn't be singing, especially if it's a performance, you know? Yeah, it's really difficult. It, it's really difficult. Um, I, I don't think there are any hard and fast rules. I guess what I would say is that if you have a sore throat and a demonstrably husky voice, the implication of that is that there is some swelling and redness and irritation of the vocal cords themselves. And that's probably not a great time to be singing. If you have a a kind of snotty cold and a bit of a cough, um, but it's not terribly sore, and if you know if if the voice isn't husky, then you might think that actually going ahead and singing is okay. But the the just you, it's impossible to generate any kind of hard and fast rules about it. You know, one of the things that might govern what you do is you know is this the first night of ten. Or is this the last night that I've just kind of got to get through carefully and then I can stop for three weeks? Mm. And also if we've been ill and we've been coughing, I guess the things that spring to mind are coughing and vomiting. Things that have actually been, you know, we've been banging the vocal cords together or things have been passing across the vocal cords. Are there kind of maybe sort of guidelines in terms of how long we might rest before we start singing again? Yeah, again, it's really difficult. I think the, um, the coughing is quite a traumatic thing for the vocal cords. Every cough you do bashes them together pretty hard. And, you know, with every cough you do, there is a possibility of causing some trauma to the surface of the vocal cord. Having said that, if you've got a cough and if you're bringing green gunge off your chest, that's got to come out. You can't leave that sitting down there. So you've got to cough the stuff up. Um, uh, and equally vomiting you know you're right acid will be passing uh, in the general direction of your of your vocal cords and and, and potentially causing damage there um, I, I don't think there is any hard and fast rule about when you should go back to singing I think gen- th- there is almost never a circumstance in which you should completely and utterly rest your voice totally I think gentle humming and and keeping the voice spinning a little bit even day to day even if it's not feeling quite right is almost always okay I would love to ask more about the vocal rest thing before we move on from the illness thing just a couple of questions I guess number one is the impact of post nasal drip and what we might be aware of and two the the whole coughing thing a lot of people talk about maybe a cough that might be less uh kind of of a trauma to the vocal cords that kind of cough so post nasal drip um is a sensation of stuff dripping down the back of your throat uh now i think there is a perception that 
you get little drips like a leaky tap dripping mm-hmm. onto your vocal cords and that causes irritation. Of course, that's not what actually happens. What happens is that if you've got stuff going down the back of your throat, it kind of slithers down the side and you generally just swallow it. So it's not that it's dripping onto the vocal cords and causing irritation. I think probably what's more likely is that whatever irritative process is affecting your nose is probably affecting your throat as well. So there's a combination of mucus and irritation of your nose, mucus and irritation of your throat, but it's not necessarily the stuff dripping directly onto the vocal cords. So treating the nose and treating the throat, I think in that circumstance, can be helpful. But eliminating post-nasal drip in and of itself, I don't think is necessarily the answer. Um, that, that So the, leading on from that, throat clearing is traumatic. Mm. That kind of <coughs> that you hear people do a lot um, serves no function. When you, when you <coughs> clear your throat, you're not bringing up lots of sputum. All you're doing is to bash the vocal cords together quite hard and that irritates them and inflames them and that's make, that makes you want to clear your throat even more. So trying to break that cycle by having a bottle of water with you the whole time and sipping instead I think is, is a really important thing to do. So I think if you, if you are the kind of person who is prone to needing to clear their throat and finds it very difficult not to, then a huff cough like a <laughs> to clear some of the mucus off the vocal cords is a, is a much safer way of doing it. Better still, just swallow through it and um, that will clear the mucus off the vocal cords as well. But if you feel that you have to physically clear stuff off, then a, <laughs> is, a is a less traumatic way of doing it for sure. Mm. Uh, stuff like steaming, is that useful to clear off stuff on the inside of the throat and the nose and stuff like that? Yeah, steam can be helpful to uh, sort of soften up uh, dry and sticky and tenacious mucus and there are different ways of steaming you know the, the old-fashioned way with a bowl of hot water and a towel over your head that's fine you can set the shower running in the bathroom and stand in there for 10 minutes um, you can buy um, nebulizer type face mask uh, devices from pharmacists um, and you see singers uh, putting these on before rehearsals and any of these things will help to sort of soften up the mucus that's in the throat so they're, they're all useful ways of doing it. Have you had any experience with um, humidifiers on aeroplanes in air-conditioned environments? Is there any evidence for that being helpful? Well, I think a lot of singers and performers do use them. Um, I don't know of any objective measures that they are useful, but I think anecdotally they can be helpful. I have seen singers use them on... I'm thinking of the kind of nebulised type of thing where it it kind of bubbles fluid into a mask for you to breathe in. I've seen singers use those on planes in the past and I think that's probably the most useful thing that you could do uh, as a sort of self-remedy. I so loved recording that episode with uh, Mr. Declan Costello. He's just fantastic. Um, I really felt like that episode brought so much um, information and insight on board and kind of helped alleviate uh, any sort of kind of niggling worries or fears or, um, you know, just just replace that fear a little bit with information. And I really... um, I really appreciated that conversation for that reason. If you like what we do, as ever, um, please rate us five stars on your preferred podcast platform. Um, leave us a review. It helps other people find us. It helps, um, you know, the the right people with the right questions and the right yearnings to find us. Um, and it speaks to them as well. Um, please uh, follow us on social media at show notes, the podcast. 
um, and you can see everything we're up to there and be part of our community in that way and also sign up to our um, newsletter um, and you can find um, the link to that uh, at our website shownotesthepodcast.com and um, I look forward to seeing you um, you know as part of those communities as well. Mm-hmm.